Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Golden Gopher football player Seth Green is making a difference on the field and in his community. But first... Without objection, the house is going to go back into recess. Chaos erupted in Washington, D.C. Wednesday when an angry mob of Trump supporters took siege of the U.S. Capitol building. Senator Tina Smith describes what it was like. Well, it's funny because uh, I was here all during New Year's Eve uh, weekend working, and um, my husband Archie came out to be with me to keep me company. And I took him to the airport on Tuesday afternoon, the day before all of this happened. And he was saying, you know, are you sure it's going to be okay? I'm worried about you. And I said, don't worry, Archie, the United States Capitol must be one of the safest buildings in the country. And then to think that less than 24 hours later, I was, you know, hurrying uh, down the corridors in the basement of the Capitol, surrounded by, uh, you know, sergeant at arms and armed police officers to try to get to a safe place because the Capitol had been breached by this angry and armed mob of people and that they had been incited to do this because of the president of the United States. It was a scary and surreal experience and um, uh, just um, a terrible, a terrible day to behold. One of the worst days, I think, in the history of our country, not because of what happened, of course, to me, but because of what happened to our democracy and the the sanctity of that United States Capitol, which is a symbol of our democracy. I spoke with Minnesota Congresswoman Angie Craig soon after the siege began. Well, I actually was uh, was in the House chamber just before all hell broke loose. I, I was there uh, when, obviously, the vice president began the process of certifying the Electoral College votes and uh, had made my way uh, toward my office to uh, make a scheduled phone call uh, when uh, my phone started erupting that uh, there was a, uh, a bomb threat in a nearby building uh, and then uh, immediately got another notice that uh, we should uh, find a safe place to shelter. So I sheltered for a little bit uh, inside my office. Uh, they they uh, had me uh, turn out the lights, retrieve the uh, emergency gas mask that uh, they give every member of commerce, uh, you know, turn the TV down and I watched the first part of, the, of what happened at the Capitol unfold uh, on social media, on my phone, uh, from a dark office. I also spoke with Congresswoman Ilhan Omar about her experience at the U.S. Capitol building. As a Democratic Muslim-American woman of color in Congress, you've been a target of the president and his supporters frequently over the past four years. I'm curious how that weighed on you yesterday as the angry mob made its way into the Capitol building. If you could give me some perspective on that, please. Uh, that's that's a heavy question. Let me um, see if I if I if I if I can find a, a proper way to uh, answer that. I think for me. For a really long time, I have felt the the threat and the weight um, 
of what it meant to be targeted by the president of the United States. And although I have appreciated the support of my constituents and the public, many of my colleagues have not fully understood just how insightful and dangerous the president could be and what it really meant to people like the the groups of the broad boys when he told them to stand down and stand by and how they could someday find themselves as the targets of the president and how serious those threats could be as they have been for me. Minnesota Congresswoman Betty McCollum says it was a sad, shocking day. I was actually in the tunnels underneath the Capitol uh, trying to uh, escort um, uh, an employee who's been with us for two days, a fellow, um, so I could uh, get her safely um, through the tunnel system out outside of the Capitol area so she could go home. And um, we were almost successful in getting her out um, when uh, Capitol Police came in and said I needed to shelter in place, that, that people were in the rotunda of the Capitol. I've been watching the scene unfold since it started, and I'm I, I'm thinking, uh, and I'm asking. I mean, did you did you feel fear for your life for a, a brief time there? No, I did not. But um, this morning when I was walking in, I kind of thought our, our security presence was a little light. But the protests weren't supposed to be in full swing till later this afternoon, early early um, evening. Um, but uh, we will do a deep dive and find out uh, why uh, we didn't have the adequate security and backup that we needed to have. Um, uh, this does need to be addressed. It should be noted that several calls for comment from Republican lawmakers went unreturned. J.P. Cola at MNN affiliate KWLM talked to two people in a group of five from Wilmer who were in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday. Former State Representative Bruce Vogel says after the Trump rally on the ellipse, he and friend Becky Zondervan planned to go to the Capitol for what they thought would be another program of speakers. But soon after, windows were broken and people entered the building. There was no talk with the people that we were around. Not at all. Not at all. It wasn't until we got down to the Capitol and we're standing there and kind of waiting. And then there were people pushing people to come up closer, to press in, to come forward and with loudspeakers, bullhorn. And honestly, I truly do feel that was part of the Antifa group that was there to try to just create chaos and they were the first ones when we were walking forward that were up on, they had scaffolding on both sides, and there was six, ten people on it, and that's where they were announcing for all the people, come forward, come forward. Vogel says the crowd surged forward. He and Zondervan pulled back and prayed. Zondervan says they left the area around 5.30 p.m. We knew there was a curfew, people were saying. Um, we were ready to get out of there anyways. There was tear gas when we were walking forward. We could hear, we thought, was it bombs going off? But it was, I'm sure that they were flash bombs, that they're definitely, I mean, I coughed quite a bit from some of the... Zondervan and Vogel say they came to Washington not necessarily to support President Trump, but to show unity with those who feel the election was stolen and to stand up for the country.
I have to say, yes, it was a moment in history. It was so good to be amongst like-minded people that wanted their country, that wanted us to be represented. And so that was the flavor. It wasn't to come and do damage. It was to come and unite. And there was people uniting. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Did you know that more lives are lost to lung cancer each year than breast, colorectal, and prostate cancers combined? Lung cancer will claim more than 135,000 lives this year. But new treatments have improved survival for many with the disease and offer new hope for many more. So does lung cancer screening with low-dose chest CT. The American Cancer Society and most major professional organizations recommend that adults ages 55 and older with a long history of smoking, even if they have quit, should talk with their doctor to learn more about lung cancer screening. Lung cancer screening saves lives by detecting lung cancer early when it's more successfully treated. So, ask your doctor if lung cancer screening is right for you. And if you smoke, ask your doctor to help you quit. Visit the National Lung Cancer Roundtable website at nlcrt.org. That's nlcrt.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. For political perspective on this week's unprecedented events, we turn to top political analyst in Minnesota, Stephen Shearer with Carleton College and Hamlin University's David Schultz. MNN's Bill Werner talked first with Professor Shearer. What happened here is is shocking to a lot of people. Uh, it's going to seem like a nightmare to, to some for some time. Is this unusual in the history of American democracy? Well, American democracy has had a history of political violence. You can find it starting in the 1780s with rebe- rebellions against the new government. Uh, and in fact, the U.S. Co- the U.S. Capitol has been the subject of uh, bombings and shootings and killings five times in the 20th century. So, it has happened before, and it's not entirely unprecedented. What makes this one unusual? What sets this one apart? Does anything set it apart? Yeah. Well, what sets it apart is we have a you know a losing presidential candidate who has been a prime mover in the unrest. Uh, we've never had a, a, an incumbent president uh, lose an election and foment this sort of uh, popular unrest. Is he legally culpable as a president I, or no, a former president? I don't think he's legally culpable because no. he did not in- encourage anybody to break the law. He did not urge them to overthrow the government. He did not urge them to violate the Constitution. He didn't say anything like that. And I don't think he really wanted... Uh, them to, uh, you know, despoil the capital the way they did. Uh, so I don't think that he's legal, legally culpable. Of course, there are cries for impeachment uh, now, but he has two weeks left in this term, and that's probably not going to happen either. You just think it's too close to inauguration data to really, to really give it the momentum? Right, and I think that... Uh, National politicians want to look forward now and get past this as quickly as they can. And so litigating these differences now on the eve of a new presidency is not something I think a lot of national politicians will want to do. That's Carleton College professor Stephen Shear. Now let's tap our other intrepid political analyst, Hamlin University professor David Schultz. These folks who broke into the Capitol 
are not going away. Um, and what does Joe Biden need to do to try to keep this from blowing up again? Well, you're absolutely right. It's not going away. Just because Donald Trump's no longer going to be president um, on January 20th doesn't mean that the forces that created this have disappeared. Yes, clearly, the president agitated um, these these um, rioters, you know, on, on Wednesday. But there's a large group of people in the United States who, at the end of the day, still believe that, what well, the election was stolen, it was fraudulent, who are very angry about the results. And unfortunately, we exited this election even more divided than we entered it. So the challenge for Biden is to try to find some type of way of bringing the country together. And this was never going to be easy to start with. Um, and it's still going to be very difficult even after this. Now, there's one glimmer of hope in all of this is of a horrible story that there was nearly universal condemnation from Republicans and Democrats regarding what happened uh, the other um, on, on Wednesday. And maybe that's the building block for something. But having said that, I think Joe Biden, it's not just about what he says at this point. What type of public policies, what types of laws does he take to address, again, this underlying anger? One of the criticisms that came up uh, out of this was, hey, let's take a look at what the security response was at the United States Capitol when Black Lives Matter, Matter protesters showed up there after George Floyd, which started here, of course, in Minnesota. Compare that to what happened uh, on Wednesday at the United States Capitol when Trump people showed up. Well, at the, at the national capital, there does appear to be a significant difference in terms of how the the security prepared for this demonstration and eventually riots that we knew were going to come. We knew that demonstrators were going to show up versus the, the post-George Floyd um, um, demonstrations in which Capitol security responded in the way it normally does, which is a very heavy-handed um, and very um, um, vigorous um, approach of arresting people. I think one of the things we need to be finding out in the next few days is why. Why the difference in treatment? Why were they so slow to respond when we we, we just knew for weeks the president was telling them, come to the Capitol, come for the protest, et cetera, et cetera. That's a question we need to be figuring out at this point. Professor, I dare say that we, we got a little bit of a glimpse of what civil war is like. Um, it didn't go to the point of the 1860s, clearly. I mean, nowhere near that. But we got a little bit of a sampling of it. If this division persists, and we talked about two aspects of it, Black Lives Matter and, and, and the Trump supporters who are, you know, probably equally outraged and coming at it from different points of view. Mm -hmm. But if this is not solved, are we headed that way in the United States of America ultimately? Toward toward oh. civil war or division? Uh, a deep, I mean, you know, physical split? Well, I don't think it's a physical split in the sense of are we going to see um, states succeed from the union? Sure, again. sure, right. But, but clearly. Yeah, but, but clearly, you know, we know over the last 40 years... Um, the state of American public opinion has changed. And the way I describe this to my students is that if we went back to the 1970s, and let's say even the early 1980s, and looked at the state of public opinion, it looked like a bell curve. And what I mean by that, 
Um, we would have some people who were far left, far right, but the vast majority of public opinion was in the center, you know, kind of like a bell shape. Um, but now American public opinion looks like, what, a double hump camel's back or yep, by motor. that's right, that's that, right. That the, per- the percentage of the population that really consider themselves to be centrist has gone down, and we're seeing the split. And so part of the way of addressing it of, of, this, of, of, this, of this real breakdown in our traditional bell curve is getting at the causes that are producing some of this, um, looking at, again, addressing the economic inequalities, the, the, um, the social unease um, that people feel as what they've seen their jobs disappear. Now, I'm not saying that, that this justifies people going to capitals and destroying property. It certainly does, and people should be prosecuted. But somewhere out there, we need to be understanding that there's a lot of people in American society that feel now tremendously alienated on both the left and the right um, from, from our government, from our process, and we need to seriously think about how to address those concerns. Hamlin University Professor David Schultz. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The day before things came apart in Washington, D.C. I hereby call the Senate to order. The Minnesota legislature began its 2021 regular session after a record-setting seven special sessions in the year that just ended. Call the members of the Minnesota House of Representatives to order. Lawmakers came back to the Minnesota Capitol with deep divisions over the COVID emergency powers of Governor Tim Walls. All the tools in the toolbox that he might need to respond to that pandemic That is something I feel very comfortable that we will be upholding. Said House Speaker Democrat Melissa Hortman, but Republicans say some Democrats could break ranks. And they say DFL leaders are planning on changing the House rules to make it more difficult to bring forward any bills that might rein in the governor's emergency powers. This is an acknowledgement that leadership in the House uh, does not have the votes to Uh, continue uh, to allow the governor to have his emergency powers. House Republican Minority Leader Kurt Doubt. Some Democrats say depending on the course of the pandemic and what the Biden administration does, an additional extension of unemployment benefits might be necessary, plus more aid to COVID-closed businesses. Senate GOP Majority Leader Paul Gazelka on that. I don't know that I expect uh, another extension of of unemployment benefits. We passed legislation in December to do that. And Gazelka said additional help for small businesses will be difficult because the state has to balance a budget that will be over a billion dollars in the red. House Democratic Majority Leader Ryan Winkler fired back. Pretty callous to think that we can just uh, step back and do nothing because we think uh, that our budget deficit will get in the way. We have to help people when they need it. The pandemic seems to have hardened Republicans and Democrats' positions on opposite sides of the perennial issue of taxes versus spending. House Speaker Democrat Melissa Hortman contends robust state programs are especially needed right now. We need this type of assistance for Minnesotans now more than ever. But Republican Leader Gazelka says balancing the state budget does not require any kind of tax increase. Not a gas tax increase that the governor proposed last time, not any income tax increases, not a sales tax increase. There are people and industries who are doing better in the pandemic, and it's important that everybody's paying their fair share. Hi, I'm Senator Michelle Benson, out in the cold, which is where Governor Walls has left our bars and restaurants. 
He either doesn't know or doesn't care about what it takes to operate a restaurant in Minnesota. As the governor prepared to announce whether he would relax bar and restaurant closures that have been in place since before Thanksgiving, hospitality industry leaders said if he allowed reopening at reduced capacity... 25% does not do it, and he's heard directly from our operators that 50% is the minimum possible. Even at that, many of them can't make a go of it. They're just losing less money. Liz Raymer with Hospitality Minnesota. Restaurants and bars are going to go back to 50% capacity, looking like we were in the summer. And the governor announced starting on Monday, bars are allowed to seat open parties of two, also at tables spaced six feet apart. Tony Chesick with the Minnesota Licensed Beverage Association says establishments still won't won't be able to get all their staff back, and he warned if the state is forced to again turn the dials back. We told the governor that a third time would be uh, the eminent kiss of death for the industry. The governor told Minnesotans COVID case growth is easing here, but he said, quote, we'll keep our hand on the dial. Mobile morgue trucks and a shortage of body bags in L.A. County. Arizona is peaking back again. The upper Midwest has come back down some. There's every reason to be optimistic, Minnesota, but there's every reason to believe it can get out of hand pretty quickly. Please take time to meet with us. Because if you don't, you're going to make us do things we don't want to do. We will come for you. But we want to talk to you first. I think if Walls runs anywhere, it should be away from Minnesota. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. You, my friend, have connections in the government. Yes, you. USA.gov, the official source for government information on thousands of topics. And like any good connection, there's no telling where it can take you. Why, one day you're getting student loan information. Next thing you know, you need job hunting tips. Today's road construction info could have you searching for telecommuting ideas tomorrow. The more you use USA.gov, the more uses you'll find for it. Passport applications, for example. They've been known to lead to a sudden interest in travel advisories. Our new mobile apps will even update you on the go. So whether you have information to get or ideas to give your government, check out USA.gov. Who knows? Lottery results today could lead to retirement planning tomorrow. USA.gov. With the right connections, there's no telling where you can go. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Golden Gopher football player Seth Green is one of several team members who will take advantage of an extra year of eligibility in return for another season of competition next year. The Woodbury native plays both wide receiver and wildcat quarterback for Minnesota. That's good news not only for the football team but for the community as Green is one of the most active Golden Gopher student-athletes in the community making a difference. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm talked with Green about the football season just finished the next year and about all of the work Green does to use his voice as an athlete for good. They begin the conversation about the struggles of athletes getting tested every day for coronavirus and trying to stay healthy. I feel like our team handled it really well, uh, the best we could. It was a tough year for everybody around the country. You know, every team had to deal with it. I'd say the most difficult part for us, more or less, was not knowing what the next week brings. You know, it was sort of hard to put your head down and work, not knowing, like, if you'd even be able to work out the next week or play the next week or things like that. 
whether you're feeling good or not over the summer it was uh you know if you're in contact with somebody who tested positive then that's put you out as well and then you still ran the risk of coming back positive at a different time and then during the season with the rapid tests you know you avoided contacts but at the same time it was still like you know a lot of people were coming back positive and not having any symptoms like everybody knows you know we missed a couple games things of that sort you don't know if the other team how it's affecting them it's it, it was just a lot of unknowns that made it sort of difficult and uh made it different you know attempt to plan uh what you were going to do in the future i'm i'm for sure coming back like we sort of said this season was so different and so unprecedented that you know i am very excited to take the opportunity to play my last year and go out on a high note and uh use the last year to uh do it do it the right way more or less <laughs> i'm super excited you know i definitely enjoy catching the ball a lot so uh with that just you know if i'm uh, awarded that opportunity then i'm going to make the most of it well, you certainly have had an impact on the field. I want to ask you now a few questions about your impact off the field here in our Gopher Talk discussion with Seth Green. Um, and you have been one of the leaders, if not the leader, in terms of volunteer hours and going to do stuff and community involvement. And I think we had you on one of our programs uh, here in the uh, in the off season uh, relating to racial uh, and social injustice and some of the things you've been doing uh, along those fronts. Um, why is that important to you to, to have an active role in, in the community outside of football? I just say I, I feel obligated to, you know, with my situation and with my platform, I feel like it would be a disservice if I didn't use it to the best of its ability, whether that's going out in the community and, you know, helping people through, you know, my time or mentoring people or hospital visits, things of that sort, whatever I can do, or whether that's using my platform as a voice for positive change. I just think, honestly, that it's my job to do that. It's more of an internal thing that I feel it's a responsibility of mine that I have. I enjoy it at the same point, but I, I feel like I would be wasting the platform and ability and, you know, social status or whatever you would call it if I didn't, you know, use it for good. Yeah, and, and some specifics on that. You mentioned the hospital visits, and obviously those have, unfortunately, because of the situation, had to had to shrink a little bit. And I know that uh, many guys, including you on the team, have created relationships with patients that even through social media and Zoom and what have you, you have been able to stay in touch with some of these patients that you've created a, a bond with. Um, how meaningful is it when you see those kids and their parents' eyes light up when you and your teammates walk into those rooms? Right. Uh, it means the world, honestly. Uh, you know, just to us, I mean, I guess we're just football players. We see each other every day. You know, we're not anything special to each other. <laughs> we're, we're just all friends. So when you go on trips like that and people are like, oh, my gosh, like you you guys are go football players. Like we watch you every every Saturday. Um, it means the world, honestly, that one, that their support for us is is like that. But two, at the same point, you know, us taking time out of our day uh, makes their day. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's nothing for us to go over there for an hour or two. It's not like we're doing anything better. Might as well go do some good. So it definitely means the world, and it, it puts a smile on my face as well as theirs. That's Gopher football player Seth Green with MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.